welcome to Deep North. We're here today with staff writer Ragnar Thomas on his 2019 piece of Mountains and Men, a look into the world of strong men in Iceland. Of Mountains and Men Hafthor Julius Björnsson, the Icelander who portrayed Gregor Clegane, a.k.a. The Mountain, in the HBO series Game of Thrones, owns and operates a gym in Kopovod, Iceland. It's called Thor's Power Gym, which admittedly has an ever-so-slightly masculine ring to it. It's there where Hafthor and other might-minded individuals convene to train for, among other things, the sport of strongman. Called Aplrunir in Icelandic, the competition involves a potpourri of pre-modern feats of strength, with a few modern twists, often named for mythological heroes. The Atlas Stones, the Hercules Hold, Conan's Wheel, Fingal's Finger. In Strongman, there are no points for subtlety. On a sunny morning in June, I lug open the door to Thor's power gym, unleashing a low frenzy of death metal into the world. I'm here to interview strongman in training Theodor Maur Gulmanson, who they say has at least two or three centimeters on the mountain himself. Theodor may be the only Icelander big enough to accept hand-me-downs from Hafthor, which I'm told he sometimes does. Strolling past a gallery of unreasonably hefty weights, oversized dumbbells, log bars, stones, and axles, I come across three men casually perpetrating Iceland's cardinal sin, squandering the rare sunlight in their off hours. As I wait for Theodor, I ask one of the guys, a stocky man neck deep in tattoos, about a video I had seen last night. It showed the mountain limping off the competition grounds at the world's strongest man tournament, held in Florida this year, following the second event. Huffold is defending his title, his first, but Iceland's ninth, making the country's number of champions second only to the United States. Is Hafthor really injured, I ask? Yes, the man replies. He tore a sinew on the bottom of his foot. Hafthor tore his plantar fascia, the fibrous tissue along the bottom of the foot that connects the heel and the toes. It's the kind of injury that usually requires a removable cast and calls for a period of immobilization lasting at least three or four weeks. Does that mean that he's out, I ask? For most people it would, but Hafthor's the craziest fucker I know. Crazy can mean a lot of things. Apply to a man who broke a 1,000-year-old Viking record by shouldering the 640-kilogram mast of the famed longship The Long Worm before proceeding to take five whole steps, the word crazy probably falls a smidgen short. The original record holder, the legendary Ormur Storolson, only managed three steps, and, if the eponymous saga from the 13th century is to be believed, was never quite the same again. Hafthor was fine. A controversial figure in Iceland, Hafthor tends to elicit the same polarized reactions that Marmite does. On the one hand, his portrayal of the mountain, his feats of strength, and his way of making those who stand next to him feel like a jacked-up Gandalf has come to visit the Shire, inspire awe. On the other hand, public accusations of domestic violence have cast a long shadow over his reputation.
In Thor's power gym, people generally go for all. But Hafthod is only one in a line of local titans vying for the title of Iceland's strongest. Among those hoping to emulate the mountain's mythological exploits is a lumbering behemoth who presently enters the gym, stooping slightly. He greets me with a smile right before his ursine paw swallows my palm. Theodor Maurgumenschon is 25 years old and boasts perhaps the most remarkable before-and-after photograph in the history of Iceland. Before our meeting, I studied the picture, which readers can view on Instagram, for something like the 20th time. On the left side, there is a 17-year-old boy slouching in his boxers, long hair, pale, slender arms dangling uselessly by his side. He looks like a lanky Kurt Cobain doing an impression of a dispirited lamppost. There's a reusable grocery bag in the background, bearing the logo of Iceland's most economical grocery store, Bonus. It seems oddly pertinent, a token of the boy himself. A second-class version of the bona fide Hulk flexing a huge tattooed arm on the right side of the photograph, whom viewers are expected to believe is the same man, only six or seven years older now, wearing a black wife-beater with shorter hair and a beard. He looks like the Thor that Chris Hemsworth modeled himself after in the eponymous film. After Theodor settles into his seat, I ask him about the boy on the left side of the photograph. I was built like a lamppost, he admits. I was 87 kilos at my lightest. For a person of my stature, which was 203 centimeters at the time, that's skin and bones. I've managed to bulk up to about 158 kilos, Things have certainly changed, he says, laughing. Theodor's nonchalance, I learn, belies the price of his transformation. On any given day, he wolfs down three times as many calories as the average adult male, somewhere between 8,000 and 10,000, and, like many of his strongman peers, he has developed sleep apnea from the weight gain. He sleeps with a CPAP mask, which facilitates the ventilation of his respiratory system, but also, he tells me, greatly mitigates the intensity of his snoring. Without the mask, his girlfriend must take refuge from his vigorous snorts in another room. Churchill snored, but only at 35 decibels. That's the volume of a library. But Theodore's snore, I imagine, is no library. Besides the adverse effects of the weight gain, competing in strongman also comes with its share of injuries of the kind that Hafthor suffered yesterday. Although many strongmen will maintain, as Theodor does, that the risk of injury isn't greater in strongmen than in any other sport, there is research to suggest otherwise. In a paper from 2014, Paul Winwood and his colleagues surveyed 213 strongman competitors and found that 82% suffered an injury during one year of training, which is a lot, even when compared to the other strength sports, powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, for example. Most of the injuries are sustained during traditional events, like the lifting of atlas stones onto raised platforms or pulling freight trucks. Theodor himself has been struggling with a back injury. The toll that training and the diet take on the strong man's body not to mention the open secret of steroid use, which Theodor and I don't discuss, has caused friction among his family. 
Following the death of Yonpot Sigmarsson, Theodor says, people began saying things like, you'll kill yourself if you go into this sport. Before the mountain, there was Magnusver Magnusson, and before Magnusver Magnusson, there was Yonpot Sigmarsson, Iceland's most famous strongman and four-time world's strongest man title holder. He was a hero to every boy growing up in the 80s until his sudden death in 1993. Having popularized the sport in Iceland, he died at the age of 32, doing what he loved most, deadlifting. During his lifetime, Jón Pált was the promulgator of many memorable quotes, among them, What's the point of being alive if you can't deadlift? A saying that has since acquired a somewhat paradoxical shade. The official cause of Jón Pált's death was an aortic rupture, which some say was a result of a genetic condition. However, it's not unlikely that steroid use, combined with the intensity of Jonpot's training, along with the incredible vacillations in weight that he underwent, competing as he did alternately in bodybuilding and strongman, exacerbated the condition. Jonpot's death has engendered prejudice toward the sport, Theodor says, and among my family. But I try to reason with them. I try to tell them that this is what makes me happy, and then I hope that they support me. As he says this, his train of thought is cut short by barbaric screams ringing out from the gym. Something crazy is going on out there, Theodor says, glancing over his shoulder and smiling. In light of the injuries, the weight gain, the CPAP machines and more, I wonder what it is that attracts people like Theodor to the sport. and may have something to do with Icelandic culture. The history of Icelandic strength traces its roots to the Vikings, who settled on the island in the 9th century. Dr. Matthias Nordvig, of the University of Colorado Boulder, has described the Norse settlements in Iceland as exceptional, arguing that there is a specific kind of mentality that leads an individual to seek out new lands as opposed to remaining in, quote, comfortable surroundings in Scandinavia. Nordvig maintains that a large portion of Iceland's early population was a little more opportunistic, independent, and fortune-seeking than the average person, which may also explain why Icelandic literature constitutes most of Old Norse literature. These are the kind of qualities that inspire good stories. Indeed, anyone who lived through the 2008 financial crisis in Iceland has learned that opportunism and fortune-seeking are part and parcel of the Icelandic national identity, along with a healthy dose of the Dunning-Kruger effect. The roughness of life on the island during the Middle Ages meant that the locals placed a premium on grit and strength. The Icelandic strongmen, I'm convinced, are traditionalist, a vestige of the island's early settlers. Before taking my leave of the gym, Theodor demonstrates a few strongman exercises as I look on with admiration. He's not as strong as the mountain, not yet, but I'm told he shows great promise. He tells me that he dreams of competing in the world's strongest man competition one day and then lets out a self-deprecating laugh. I don't know, that's the dream. Truthfully, I just want to be myself, someone whom I can be proud of. Two days later, curled up on the sofa watching a documentary on Iceland's lifting stones, Stone lifting was Iceland's most popular sport for centuries, someone claims. 
I learn that Hafthor has lost his title of world's strongest man, but somehow, despite his injury, has placed third. To a person who cut a beeline to the emergency room following a mild case of carpal tunnel syndrome, this seems insane. Watching four-time world's strongest man Magnusver Magnusson waddle around on the screen, his awkward gait likely the result of many painful injuries, I find myself pondering once again what it is that drives the Icelandic strongmen. Musing upon the matter, one of the documentary's interlocutors, strongman Stefan Solve Pietersson, begins discussing a runic fragment of Hawamol, old Viking poems, that is tattooed on his arm. Cattle die and kinsmen die, thyself too soon must die. But one thing never, high ween, will die, fair fame of one who has earned. He pauses. It basically says that everything has its time, everything dies, but if you make a good reputation in life, it will go on. That's what I strive for. Stefan's words bring to mind another poem, written by Icelandic poet and notorious pessimist Stetsteinar. Sown into every man's dream are the seeds of his undoing. I think Stet was on to something. Well, thank you for that, Ragnar. So, what is it like to meet some of these guys, like Theodor? You know, like maybe you can just briefly talk about just being in the physical presence of uh, just one of these huge guys. Yeah, um, I mean, Theodor, as I mentioned in the piece, is I think he's well over two meters tall, which means that he's even taller than the mountain himself. And yeah, it's just, it's a little comical. I mean, watching someone basically stoop to get into, you know, we, we spoke at like the gym's little coffee section and right, just seeing them there, like everything seemed slightly too small from the seats to the coffee machine to the doors. Um, and yeah, and especially in light of like the transformation that he had gone through, the before and after photograph, which people can see on his Instagram page is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, he weighed... 87 kilos which is lighter than what I weigh I'm around 190 meters and then he balloons I mean he gains 70 what does he say he said it was 150 some kilos when we met which is just a a ridiculous transformation Um, so yeah but I I kind of grew up with um, I used to do track when I was younger and I sort of grew up with a lot of shot putters and discus throwers and among them one Olympian who was pretty big himself so and a few like like uh there was uh the former champion of the discus called Dolan who used to compete at the Highland Games so I can say that I'm relatively accustomed to, <laughs> to being with big big guys but yeah it's still pretty crazy especially like like uh because i i used to live in the states and i remember because icelanders are relatively tall i'm relatively tall myself and i would always stand out as being like well you're pretty tall and then a friend of mine who came to visit once he's even taller than me he used to do the shot put and i remember my friends being like what the fuck do they feed you over there (laughs) and then 
you know, feeling small around these kind of people is, yeah, it's a little bizarre. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, in some kind of fitness circles, uh, also Iceland just being, you know, a relatively small place that maybe not a lot of people know about, I think that sometimes there is this sense of, there's something in the water right? <laughs> or yeah. something that, uh, that, that, that somehow Icelanders are just uh, magically taller and broader and stronger than everybody else or something. And, just you know, I mean, like there's also some sort of interesting connection there also with, yeah, like mythology. I mean, Thor's power gym, yeah. uh, all of these exercises and feats kind of just have, um, you know, these like very kind of fantastic names i also think it's kind of interesting just um this blending of like actual mythology and then just kind of like <laughs> fantasy movies like, like like this is kind of a world where thor and conan just kind of live side by side <laughs> yeah which is certainly not the case i mean there are you know like a handful of very strong and big you know people around but yeah you i remember watching an interview with like joe rogan in which he was talking about like the Icelanders, and he he seemed to describe it like it was a land of ice giants. Like everybody's fucking huge over there, and it's like no, <laughs> that's not not at all the case. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny how how these things tend to get mythologized. But nevertheless, I mean, there is definitely a culture of powerlifting uh, and strongman competitions. Um, you know, like like where do you think that comes from? Yeah, I mean, um, I think it definitely has something to do with. The early settlers, I mean, Iceland is, and it must have been an extremely rough place to inhabit, especially during the early years, even though they say that there were a lot, you know, it was a greener place then, there were more trees, but, but still, I mean, you can just look outside the window right now, I mean, without central heating and sort of all the comforts of modern living, you know, you must have been, had to, had to have been relatively tough. And I think there was a premium on strength from day one. We see it from Icelandic Lima, sort of the national form of wrestling, which was very popular. Um, the documentary that I mentioned in the piece said that stone lifting was the most popular sport, which um, makes it sound like, yeah, I mean, that's a very primitive kind of sport. <laughs> yeah, lifting stones, that's what we do over here. I believe that was the first sport invented. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and... Um, as you and I discussed briefly before, there was actually, um, it, it was like lifting stones was a way of determining your remuneration as a sailor, as a fisherman. Um, yeah. I mean... Yeah, a lot of uh, visitors to Iceland might have visited um, on the Snæfellsnes Peninsula, uh, I believe on Duplo and Sandur. Uh, there are these four stones, uh, and they each have like a different name. I believe they have. Uh, like, I, I believe the lightest one is called like half as strong, and then uh, kind of goes up to like full strong or whatever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, basically, fishermen back in the day, you know, I mean, this is kind of a test of how strong can you pull the oar. I mean, just kind of, you know, what kind of loads can you carry on the boat? You know, like like how. How big of a fish can you land? Um, and so, yeah, your your wage as a sailor would actually depend on which one of these stones you could actually lift. Yeah, I mean, in at least in some cases, yeah, that was that was the case. That um, it was a sort of rough way to determine whether or not you were pulling your weight, so to speak. 
Um, and then, of course, yeah, we have with Jon Páll Sigmarsson, the first Icelandic uh, man to become the world's strongest man. Um, I think he kind of put our name on the map as far as that goes. And, I mean, we've had three champions and a total of nine titles, which puts us second to the U.S. And, of course, as we're obligated to point out, per capita, that's amazing. <laughs> yes, yeah, so always the uh, per capita statistic there. Right. Well, you know, I mean, there is also maybe something interesting to be said about uh, historical diets. Um, you know, I mean, in some sense, the scarcity in pre-modern Iceland uh, kind of forced a keto diet on everybody uh, where, I mean, you know, you're really just eating protein and fat all the time. Uh, a lot of dairy products, a lot of fish, uh, lamb, meat, uh, when you could get it. Uh, but, you know, I mean, really very little bread and carbohydrates in the diet. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe there's something kind of interesting there with uh, really high-fat, high-protein diets. Yeah, definitely. Someone should uh, look into that if they haven't. You know, another kind of interesting uh, connection with, like, tying these modern-day strongmen into, like, an Icelandic tradition. Uh, we're also briefly talking about, um, you know, it's, there are some boulders that kind of dot the landscape here. Uh, and, and, and in English, we'd call them glacial errata or glacial erratics um and you know so glaciers can kind of pick up large rocks and kind of carry them uh to places where they don't really belong and then as the glacier recedes uh you have a stone that you know maybe kind of came from a different deposit and so it's like a different type of the rocks around it and so you know really kind of stands out in the landscape and kind of looks like it doesn't belong and so, of course, when people saw these historically, they kind of assumed that somebody had put them there and had carried them there and, you know, somebody impossibly strong. Uh, and so one of the kind of famous um, strongmen in the sagas was uh, Grettir, uh, a famous outlaw. Uh, and uh, Grettir saga is, you know, one of these kind of um, – it's one of the later sagas, but um, it's – you know, I mean, definitely, I think it's fair to say it's one of the most popular ones, too. Uh, like, he's, you know, like, really highly romanticized as this kind of individual outlaw figure. Um, but, yeah, like, these uh, these kind of glacial stones are called uh, um, you know, because who else could have put them there <laughs> right. but the strongest guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's funny, like, I grew up speaking of, like, strength worship or, or so something of that nature. I mean, I, I remember when I was young, they used to run sort of comic book versions of the sagas and Skadla uh, Grimson, another warrior poet and strong man, was heavily featured and so was Grettir. And I mean, that may also be part of it sort of in the modern age, why seemingly inordinate number of Icelanders become a little obsessed with strength that and I remember just like rehashing this whole mythology when I moved to the States, being very proud of my sort of Viking strength, as, as ridiculous as that sounds today. But yeah, it's certainly something that's part of the culture and the history. But so it's definitely something that's interesting is that this strength and this worship of strength comes at a cost too. So, I mean, a lot of these strong men will develop... You know, I mean, mild to serious uh, health problems. I mean, you uh, mentioned sleep apnea. That seems like maybe one of the more benign problems that uh, some of these strongmen develop. Uh, and, you know, I mean, also in extreme cases, just 
death, right? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, um, so Jon Potl, uh, our most famous strongman, he died from a heart attack in 93. And even though there were some who maintained that it had been, you know, due to a genetic condition, I think most everyone suspected that it had to do with steroid use, which is um, an open secret among strongmen. Uh, they don't test for any kind of steroid use, certainly not in any of the competitions here at home, and I, I don't think they've started doing any kind of drug tests abroad either, uh, as far as I know. And especially with Jon Potl, I mean, it's crazy to look at some of the photographs because he used to do, he used to switch between strongmen, which, you know, requires a huge diet and, and int- intake of calories, and then, you know, a half a year later, he would cut down and he'd be doing bodybuilding and, and you know, you, just a, I mean, it, it must have been a swing of like 20, 30 kilos or something just to like inhabit those two very different physiques. And yeah, it was interesting talking to Teotor, you know, that he falls in love with the sport and he realizes that, well, if I'm going to compete, I need to get a lot heavier and you know, as his family witnesses sort of the transformation and they see some of the health problems that go along with it. Um, the sleep apnea, for example, you know, they they bring up Yonpot saying, you know, this can't be good for your health in the long run. And just the sheer amount of injuries as well. I mean, um, that study that I referenced uh, showed that, I don't know, like 80, was it 80% of strong men develop some kind of rather serious injury during a year of training, which is high even for some of the other more extreme sports. So yeah, it definitely comes at a cost, which was why I really liked the idea of um, sort of quoting the Icelandic poet State Steinar, who had this excellent line about, you know, the, the seeds of every man's undoing were sown into his dreams. Mm. And I think that's particularly apt in this case. Well, yeah, and even in cases where there isn't any kind of direct health problem, I mean, just the kind of specialized strength that this requires is also inherently limiting in a lot of ways. I mean, um, it limits, like, the range of motion. I mean, like, a lot of strong men can't, like, really actually scratch their backs uh, yeah. because they just have, like, really overdeveloped arms. Uh, and so they're just kind of range of motion is really limited. So, you know, there is something uh, very ironic or somehow poetic about that. I don't know yeah. if that's what I heard. And a lot of them talk about how, you know, how much of a chore eating becomes. You know, mm-hmm. you just have to be constantly eating. And I remember my uh, wife and I, we went, to, um, we went to Paris in, I think, 2016 or 17, on like a romantic trip. And uh, Hafthor of the Mountain was also going on a similar trip with his wife and they were in the plane with us and he was seated you know of course he bought extra leg room so he was (laughs) seated next to the exit at the front of the plane and I just remember walking past a few times like to go to the bathroom and I think almost every time that I walked past his wife was like feeding him (laughs) to make sure that he was (laughs) keeping up with his caloric intake which is a huge sacrifice. Um, it was certainly nowhere near his levels, but um, a couple of years ago, I decided to give marathoning a shot. Yeah, and you know, you really just your entire life becomes about eating 
And, you know, I mean, on the one hand, it's kind of nice in a way to just have this like really clear focus where like you just have to kind of structure everything around this one goal um, and everything somehow becomes a little bit clearer when you're just only focusing on kind of eating the right kinds of food all the time and that's just your life. Yeah. Um, you know, but obviously with being a strong man, I mean, it's also just a whole other level to that. I mean, like really just basically every hour of your life, like you're eating, you're thinking about your next meal, you're planning your meal. Um, and not to you, mention the cost. I remember. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, that was one of the cases, like, because I followed up on Teotur, we did a, a sort of a, a translated version of the article in Icelandic, I think, because the original article is from yeah. 2019. And another version of the article came out, I think, two years later. And I talked to him then, and he had actually quit Strongman. And one of the reasons that he cited was that it was just, it was too expensive. I mean, he, he had mm. to buy food and meat for, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of krona every month. And which is where sponsorship comes in. And if you don't have uh, a good sponsor, then, you know, you're left to sort of shoulder the cost yourself. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a huge part of it, all the supplements and all the money that goes towards. Yeah, I think that's a kind of, uh, that's a side of it that we might not really see as much. Um, but I think that's pretty interesting because, you know, I mean, of course, with the really famous guys that you see in media, you know, of course they all have sponsorships. Um, but you know, like it really does cost quite a bit of money to eat that amount of food. Um, I mean, also presumably they're eating a lot of meat, uh, and meat is increasingly expensive. Um, and you know, like there is like a whole kind of economy to this too. And, you know, I mean, sure. Some international competitions might have, somewhat substantial prizes but i mean you know for the most part uh these guys are doing it for the love of it for the sense of accomplishment that they get um but you know i mean it's not like everybody uh who has this physique just like automatically gets one of these big sponsorships or something no and i mean i think that's one of the things about Hafthor's <clears throat> career is that you know you, you i mean then this is just me like as an outside observer, but yeah, you, you see him trying to secure sponsorship and then he goes into like merch. He had that whole training to fight the mountain sort of brand and he's operating a gym and you're trying to get, you know, cast into sort of these roles like he was cast as the mountain and the Game of Thrones. And so, yeah, I mean, that must be not a particularly easy math problem. <laughs> for for everyone involved and and obviously only a, a handful of people make it in this world. Okay, so we've talked about some of the negative health aspects to yeah, let's call it this strength obsession. Um and you know, I mean, I also have to imagine that, you know, there's maybe also a lot of body image problems too, right? You know, I mean, uh we talk a lot in the public discourse about you know, body image with women, uh, and yet this is also a very difficult masculine ideal to live up to. Um, yeah, I was just kind of wondering if you had any sense of, um, you know, like how these guys think about that uh, in this world. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure that I can speak to their 
feelings or outlook on that topic, but one of the things that I find interesting and which I thought a lot about when I was writing the article was, you know, this obsession with strength that many Icelandic young men seem to develop. Um, there's a term for it in Iceland called kraftadetla, which is, yeah, the sort of, you, where you become sort of mildly obsessed with growing or being strong. And I definitely remember that being sort of a big part of my sort of life and identity when I was a teenager. I don't know where exactly that came from. I mean, maybe it was growing up reading comic book versions of the sagas and buying into the mythology that Icelanders were, you know, these strong Viking types vis-a-vis Jónpáll. And my grandfather was also, you know, he was someone who, he was a mason who was very proud of his own strength. He had a black belt in judo, uh, jiu-jitsu. And when I was working as a hot man for him, as a mason, you know, we were always competing in, well, how many bags of cement can you lift? And and then you begin weightlifting very early on. And, and I remember being in the States as well. There was like a friend of uh, my father's friend. You know, he was he was a big fan of Conan the Barbarian and he knew of all the Icelandic strongmen and and it was like this very weird subtle pressure to you know you had to be somehow live up to the reputation which can't be healthy so yeah well uh, thank you for that Ragnar thank you Deep North is the official podcast of Iceland Review the oldest continuously running English language publication on Iceland covering community nature and culture. If you enjoyed listening, please consider subscribing to Ice on Review at our website.